Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the 551 podcast. My name is Wes Burdine, and I am part of 551, a, uh, a website that brings you a whole lot of Minnesota soccer news. And um, today, uh, I've got uh, this is our second special in 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 a week basically. I've got a, a guy named Ben Grossman who you know we'll go into what he does on the show. I'll have him introduce himself, but he is a minority owner of Minnesota United, and he's one of those guys. Um, Alexi Lawless called him the Zelig of uh, of American soccer. He's he's kind of all these different places. He's involved with Fox Soccer. And uh, I, I brought him over. We sat down at my dining room table and, and chatted. He is such a great person to talk to, knows so much about soccer, and loves soccer so much. He's, he, he is a blast to just talk um, just talk about games and things like that. And so we do that. We talk about his role. We talk about Fox Soccer. And um, we talk a little bit about the World Cup. And we recorded this several weeks ago. And their you know, trigger warning uh, I've got to give you is that we uh, I bring up uh, the kind of upcoming World Cup qualifiers. And um, spoiler alert, in case you guys don't know, uh, the U.S. did not uh, make it. Um, so we make an awkward joke about, well, you know, this is going to come out after the uh, World Cup qualifiers. So, um, you know, just go ahead and uh, park your car before that happens so you don't drive off a bridge. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's just the one warning. I do want to say thank you to all of our supporters. You can go and support us on Patreon. If you like what you hear, if you like the fact that you can hear in one week, uh, an interview with coach Stephanie Golan uh, of the, um, uh, Gopher soccer team, you can hear a minority owner who, uh, you know, you, you don't get to hear from these people much and you get a, a lot of, uh, articles and things like that just go and support for a couple dollars a month um it doesn't take much but it does uh matter you know we pay our writers and it's a a, a terrible uh, small amount of money but it is real um uh that's it that's all i'll say thank you and uh, i hope you enjoy this uh interview I am uh, very pleased to have uh, someone involved with Minnesota United, but also involved in just the larger world of U.S. soccer and global soccer. Um, ben Grossman, a Minnesotan, now an expatriate in San Francisco, but you're back for you're back with your family this week. Welcome to my to my dining room. Ah, thank you very much. Happy to be here. And uh, before we get going, I want to thank you and, and everybody at. At, at your organization, 551, you guys have been a uh, huge, huge voice for our soccer ecosystem, not just here in Minnesota, but now that we're in MLS, nationally and globally, as I've learned a lot more lately, uh, how big our global brand is. And you guys are a big part of growing that. And of course, we're not always going to agree on everything, but I love the passion. I love the educated opinions you guys give. And uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, as they say. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um I want to maybe start because uh, start with this really basic question of who are you and why am I interviewing you? I mean, because you are this this secret man. But what what is it you do? It's not so secret. So my my day job. I've worked in and around soccer. Literally, I started. I think my first job in soccer was the 1994 World Cup. So I've been in and around the game for a long time. Uh, I 
grew up here. I'm, I'm Minnesota through and through. Played at Blake High School for the great legendary Charlie Seal. Hi, Sparky, if you're listening. Um, and went on to work in soccer and just be lucky enough to do that. Um, what I do today is I am a consultant and investor in companies that tend to be in sports, media, and technology. A lot of it in soccer, though. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my that's my love and for me to get you know a chance to do this and come back home and do it, which we can talk more about, is something that's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and what, what, one of those. So the the company that you have, this consultancy company, is called Selhurst Media, right? Uh, related to one of your first jobs, right, which was getting started uh, in England as some sort of what is the PR role for Crystal Palace? But yeah, I had a cup of coffee working in the uh, in the front office at Crystal Palace uh, a long time ago. It would have been 1995, I believe, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, so much fun for an American to be able to do that before um, you know before Americans had started to grow into executive roles in the Premier League and owners and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how it got started. And uh, Crystal Palace is like a, it's like a drug. It's like a disease you can't get it out of your system. So I'm a lifelong palace supporter. And when I left my last job a couple of years ago uh, and started my own company, I uh, decided to name it after that club. Yeah. And just uh, this is off off topic, I guess. But with that, you were just in England and, and you saw all the Crystal Palace people right amidst, you know, Hodgson coming in and getting rid of... Uh, How's Crystal Palace doing? Uh, it's a it's a great little club, um, and it is a club that has an incredibly passionate fan base, and they are laser focused on continuing to build around that. As they've gotten bigger, they don't lose sight of that. So yes, while they've had some managerial upheavals yeah. and all that, it's a club that's built with an unbelievable fan base, and everybody knows that that stadium is one of the great ones in England to go to. And uh, boy, let's I look forward to uh, our place down the road here being the same. Cloud City. Um, yeah, welcome to Midway, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you got to do the little bit of the tour. I know you've been to the stadium site, but you got to get the rest. And get Yeah, it. I've spent a lot of time here in the last <laughs> year, obviously. And uh, it's a beautiful neighborhood. It's a beautiful part of town. I, I can't wait to show it to the city, the state, and the world, literally. Yeah. The the after Crystal Palace there was a a, a stint at Colorado uh, Rapids I almost said Rockies Colorado Rapids doing PR there as well. Um, I, I'm kind of curious of the you know you were at Crystal Palace during like the a, a big transition period for English soccer right post uh, the launch of the Premier League mm-hmm. um, and Crystal Palace were not in the Premier League at that point they nope. were they were in the Championship we were down yeah. And Colorado Rapids, uh, what year? That was what years? Year two. So okay, I came yeah. in. I joined them in '97, and the league had launched in '96. So both teams, or you know, worlds of soccer in a little bit of transition, but U.S. soccer in its infancy. Uh, what what is the difference in there? Is just the the size of Crystal Palace and all those clubs is so much bigger, or, or was there a difference? Well, Crystal Palace was born in 1905, right? Yeah. So you were taking care of a legacy and trying to bring something along. When we started Major League Soccer in those early years, it was the Wild West. I mean, we had 10 teams. Soccer had, you know, it fits and spurts over the years. Don't need to tell you and, and, and all of our fans. But it was really something that was, this was our big chance. We had, the, you know, we were launched on the back of the 94 World Cup, which is a massive success. We had great ownership and we were launching this league and here we go. And we were, you know, there was trial and error. Remember the silly shootout where you, you know, if a game was tied, yep. you'd yeah. dribble in and all that stuff. We tried things and failed. Um, and eventually, you know, I have to tell you what's now to see it now. 
where when people are, you know, talking about some of the teams that are quote unquote struggling in MLS, averaging 15, 16, 17,000 right. fans a game, and that's struggling. It's amazing how far we've come. I mean, I was just listening to uh, our new CEO, Chris Wright, uh, on the radio as I drove over here. And Chris was saying that this is the best growth stock in American sports right now, Major League Soccer. It's hard to argue with that. Um, it, it certainly is, especially because it's, it's hard to say where it could go. The, the other leagues have, you know, NBA maybe hasn't as much, but the, the other leagues have really solidified. And, and I mean... <laughs> Yeah. Who knows how many teams we're going to have five years from now? And actually, who knows what leagues we'll actually have five years from now or five days from now? Um, <laughs> that is certainly a, a different tangent. Um, you went to Twitter for a little bit, right? You were um, uh, speaking of being uh, involved in startups and things like that. Um, and now uh, the consultancy thing with Fox Sports, I th it feels like you have a pretty good um, resume for understanding telling public narratives and engaging with the public. I wonder if you can just impart some, like what, what have you learned through those things, through, through Twitter, through being, doing PR, obviously. Um, and, and now, you know, helping Fox sports tell the, tell the narrative of this growth stock, stock sport. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so I worked in sports for a long time, worked in, then I went to worked in the television industry, went and worked in the tech industry now back doing what I do in, in multiple of them. And the, there's one through line through it Wes, and you have to listen to the consumer. Right. You have to listen, whether it's television, it's the viewer or whether it's for a soccer team, the fans. And if you don't put everything through that lens, you're going to fail. You can think about sponsors all day long. You can think about big, fancy stuff all day long and what you know. But at the end of the day, it's about the fan. It's about the viewer. And if you're not listening to them and giving them what they want, where they want and how they want, good luck. You're done, especially in this day where they've got so much choice. And how do you do that with also balancing the, the fact that, um, you know, Minnesota United fans, m me being one of them, you know, engage like so we, we are sim simultaneously, uh, I think, a very well-educated, uh, thoughtful group of people. You know, I, I talk to people at games at random and they've got really good insight, but they're also very wrong a lot. Right. Myself included. Right. And especially in public spaces like Twitter or wherever. How do you how do you balance that thing where you certainly want to listen to people, but um you know, you, you can't just listen to everyone, right? You've got to somehow like filter that a little bit to get to what the constructive part is. How do you, how do you do that? I think it's just, you just, you listen as much as you can and you use it as data points. You don't over index in any one opinion, but the more you listen to, the more you just start to say, okay, something, a picture kind of starts to take shape and you can talk to them directly. You can listen to them online. There's so many different ways to do it. Um, you know, you have to be careful not to just over index on Twitter because yeah. nobody goes on Twitter and says, oh, I kind of like that. Yeah. Right, they go on there and either kill something or they adore it. Usually, the former, right, not the right. latter. So you have to be careful whether it's you're judging a TV show or how your team is doing right. or whatever. You know, not to get too much into that. But look, with I mean, with Major League Soccer, it's no secret that we're not the best league in the world. Our soccer is not the best soccer in the world. It's okay to say it loud, right? Our atmospheres, though, are fantastic. I can name you games I've been to several of them. Portland-Dallas in a playoff game a couple years ago, Montreal-Toronto in a playoff game, where that atmosphere is as good as any Premier League atmosphere I've ever been to, and I've been to a ton of games around the world. Mm -hmm. Our atmospheres here in Major League Soccer are amazing, and what we've done, what you guys done, and I mean the Dark Clouds, True North Elite, and all of our fans in TCF Bank Stadium, in a stadium that's you know massive and open and all that, to create that atmosphere that has now gotten around the country and a little bit around the world, mm -hmm. 
before we even move into our stadium that's built for that has been amazing. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Wes, I've sat where I sit during the games and I, I look to my right after a big goal or after a win, it's gotten dusty several mm-hmm. times up in the old I region. It's pretty powerful. And, and so that those additional roles of, of kind of hitting soccer in these different spaces, I, I'm wondering what, what is for, for myself, for listeners, what is soccer like in those non public spaces, right? Cause you're, you're engaging with some pretty, um, you know, with big names of soccer and kind of what do we not see? I'll ask it this way. What do we not see about U.S. soccer and the structure of it and the, the machinations going on and, and just that isn't happening on Twitter? Or what are we not not getting about soccer if we're only going on Reddit and Twitter or something, you know, something or Facebook? It's and, actually a really good question. And here's the thing I always say is is sea change when it happens right in front of you is really hard to see. It's really hard to see. It's hard to put things in context. You know, I've worked in MLS now for 20 years. So I actually can see, oh my God, how much this thing has changed. There is a sense of inevitability now about the success of Major League Soccer. Hmm. That it's it's not coming. It's here, mm-hmm. right? We're now launching new teams and we had 70,000 in Atlanta last weekend. There was no fireworks show or concert or doubleheader with the U.S. national team game. There were 70,000 people there to see a Major League Soccer regular season game. It's absolutely incredible. The TV ratings, the sponsors that are coming in, all that stuff. Like, all that stuff's great. But for me, again, it just goes back to the supporters groups and the atmospheres. Like, we've... Gosh, I remember going to games in, I won't say what cities, in the early days of MLS, <laughs> and there would be like, you know, you could count the people. Yeah. And the supporters groups, God love them, were great, but there was like 15, 20 people sometimes yeah. for an MLS game. Now it's like, I mean, look at, you know, <laughs> look yeah. at our end. Look at the Wonderwall. Can I call it the Wonderwall yet? Do we have to wait for the new stadium? Uh, you can call it whatever you'd like. Okay. So, you know. You I'm already calling it the Wonderwall because yeah, I love can, that. you can. I think, right. I think there's been discussions, but then a large group of people to say it doesn't matter what you call okay, it, if you good. want to call it. But uh, somewhere along the line, you then become uh, involved as a minority owner with uh, Minnesota United FC. Um, can you give me a sense of what that means? Uh, are there like big meetings with the, the big owners, majority owners, and then uh, you get invited sometimes? What is a minority owner Well, uh, to, like? I'll tell you what it means to me, first of all. Sure. Um, of all the things I've done, it's the most important thing to me I've ever done. And I can say that without it, you know, easily. I've, I've had a very cool and fun career. I've gotten to, you know, see games all over the world. I've gotten to walk down the red carpet at the Emmys with my mom. Like, I've had these great moments. This is it for me. I grew up in Minnesota, the biggest soccer fan in the world, going to Strikers games. I mean, there are still people. There were players from the other teams who I just hated that I now work with or like coaches in MLS or whatever, I still just want to hate them because that's, you know, from the day growing up as a fan. So you grow up this soccer fan. I move and I go and I live in places like, you know, I'm lucky enough to live in places around the world, but I'm always known as the Minnesota guy, right? Everybody knows me. I'm the Minnesota guy. So to be able to take soccer and put it together with Minnesota, to me, like it couldn't be anything more important. And so now you ask what it actually means. Uh, We've got this unbelievable ownership group. Um, you know, you know, some of the people involved, the twins, the Timberwolves and people like that. And then what Dr. McGuire and Nick Rogers did to basically, you know, we're not here, if not for them, what they did with the NASL team, mm-hmm. 
getting up to Major League Soccer. And then now you've got this incredible group. You've got Manny Lagos and Adrian Heath and the technical staff and then the front office and now bringing in Chris Wright, which is an unbelievable commentary, by the way, on where Major League Soccer and, and the Loons are going. Um, it's just unbelievable. So I was invited into the group um, through my connections with the league originally. Got to know Dr. McGuire and everybody else was invited to be part of it. And now, honestly, like we've got people who run the team. They're like, that's not what I do. I don't have anything to do with that. I'm here as a resource. I live in that world day to day. So, you know, I talk to Manny and Adrian with things I'm hearing. Um, people from the front office may check in once in a while and just, hey, I'm, you know, what do you think about this or whatever? But, you know, Chris is running the team. That's his team. Manny's running the technical side. That's his side. I don't have any, you know, say or anything on that. Um, but I'm here when they need me and, you know, we have a good open line of communication and it's fun to be able to help them. Yeah. I, I want to talk then about this year because it's been, um, it's been a crazy year, right? So with so much happening, um, we're now what, just, just over the year mark of that big, uh, St. Paul announcement yep. of, you know, we're, we're going to be in MLS next year. Um, and you know, we've had, uh, the snowball, uh, getting uh, just beaten out at home by Atlanta in the snow. We've had, uh, you know, uh, the the um, first win and the first thing of Wonderwall in the stadium. Um, tell me, how has this year been? How do you evaluate it? I think I'm not going to try to sound Pollyanna or like I'm selling here, <laughs> so don't throw something at me. I think it has been way beyond my expectations. Somebody... Look, our team is like, for me, it's like MLS. It's the same thing. It's like my little brother, right? I can pick on it, but if anybody else does, I'm going to kick their ass, right? right sure. So I think, honestly, I can honestly, you can hook me up to a lie detector. I think the season has been beyond our expectations. Somebody in the media, when they were talking about Chris, right, joining our team, said something about Minnesota, who's kind of struggled their first season. And I don't think they were talking about on the field. They were talking off the field. So I jumped on email right away, and I sent them a note. And I said, struggling? We are privately financing a beautiful new stadium. Allianz is on board. Target is on board. Massive partners like that. We're averaging whatever it is, 22,000 fans a game. If that is struggling, let every MLS expansion team the rest of the time struggle, (laughs) please. Because for me, it could not be going any better. Would we like to have more wins on the field? Of course. But the roster was put together at a very late time. Obviously, we've made some mistakes but we've also had some huge hits as far as that goes. And look, if you go back and look through the numbers, and now it's going to sound like I'm really spinning, but this is true. When we've got our full team, we're competitive with any team in the league. We really are. Toronto away, Seattle, two of the toughest places to play in the league. Mm-hmm. We've gone in and given Toronto and Seattle everything it could handle. We've won eight games already. When, we're, when it's an international break or we're injury ravaged like we were in Vancouver recently – it's going to be tough for us without a doubt. That's an expansion team, but I really think on and off the field, I, I'm going to look back and just, it's just going to be fantastic. And but when I think of that first home game, I don't even remember the score anymore. Can I say that? I don't remember the score. Do you believe that? <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but all I remember is the snow and the atmosphere and all that stuff. And, you know, hopefully one day we'll actually forget the score. I've got a friend who works for Atlanta who every, every month I think sends me a, a tweet or a text. So nice. Um, you know, I, I I I can I can buy what some of what you're selling, but some of it. Okay. I, when we think about, I think a lot of the criticism comes from looking at it in conjunction next to Atlanta. Right? Okay. And is that some parts of that are unfair, right? Because you've got an NFL team tied to a, an MLS team, so you you can have a different type of stadium. 
But some of it, I think, is legitimately fair, you know, uh, of a team coming out and spending on players and, and spending on a coach and also getting getting players like Almiron and these guys who yeah. are unreal, right? Yep. I mean, if we had an Almiron, uh, um, I, I would, you know, I would have a poster of him up in my in my bedroom but um <laughs> please don't tell me any more about your bedroom <laughs> but as it is i hate amiran so but i isn't that a fair criticism right of of look couldn't we why can't we have a, a, a dp like that and, and why do we have to do it this other way okay i think it's a natural comparison right both teams come into the league at the same time without a doubt you're not going to get me to say a bad word about Atlanta. I think what they've done is absolutely unbelievable. I've been down there to games of Bobby Dodd. I'm headed down to a game at their new stadium soon. Um, what Arthur Blank and Darren Eels, their team president, that organization have done is absolutely fantastic. The, the crowds are wonderful. Their marketing, their messaging is awesome. And they were in a position where they had, they had a couple year head start on us, right? Which is fantastic. And I don't take anything away from them. So they had time to put stuff together. And also, they're not building a stadium on the books of the soccer team. Yeah, because the, Fal right, the Falcons right, sure. built the stadium. It was built for the Falcons originally and for Atlanta United, of course. But so because they weren't spending that money, to their credit, they said, right, we're going to put it on the field, specifically in the front six, by the way, although they brought Brad Guzan in. Um, and I'll be honest with you. I look to see who they're playing and when they're on TV, and a lot of people do. They are fantastic to watch. They're so much fun to watch. They give up a lot of goals. They score a lot of goals. They're exciting as hell. They're great. I love I love the Atlanta United product. As far as the comparison, it's just different. Um, would you really, you know, we made a couple mistakes with our roster, right? We, we, we know who they are. They were not $5 million mistakes, right? We were rushed so quickly to throw that roster together because of the timetable. I don't know that it would have been responsible to go and bring in a couple DPs and suddenly one of them doesn't work out, Wes. And now we're stuck with a $5 million miss instead of a $500,000 miss. So I understand that, you know, would we all like to have more DPs on the field? Of course we would. But within the realm of what we're doing, paying for our stadium ourselves, building this whole franchise and doing it on a tight timetable, I feel really good about the responsible way we went about it and how we're going to build this thing gradually. And by the way, look at the results. We're not adrift at the bottom of the table where there's teams unfortunately who, for them who are below us atlanta hasn't won 10 more games than we have they're fantastic but i think you could say that we're building a really nice core and now as it goes on west and we sprinkle a couple special players on top of that and add a couple more players and all that stuff i think we're going to be in a really good position and do you think then i mean it sounds like there's this there's this criticism out there, and it's not just Alexi, but you know you know that Alexi's said it on national <laughs> TV of the that there's this soft open happening, right? That that the team, uh, not that not that this year is a throwaway or next year's a throwaway, but that um, 2019 the aim is to really be competitive there, right? Like have everything work up to that being the real the real point. I mean. That sounds sounds like you're saying that in a in a different way, right? No, I think that's ridiculous. I think we're okay. we're I think we're competitive now. We don't have the depth we would like to have. We don't have you know, and every team wants to be more talented. But I'm I don't know how you can look at the results, especially when we have our first eleven, twelve, thirteen players all fit and available, and say that we're not a competitive team now and building towards something even better. So are we sitting there saying, "Oh, forget seventeen and eighteen. When that stadium opens, then we're going to be ready to rock." Absolutely not. By the way, we wouldn't do that to the fans. It's not fair to the fans that people who pay, you know, buy their own season. I, I'm a season ticket holder. It won't be fair to me as a season ticket holder. So, uh, no, I actually summarily reject that, and I've told Alexi that. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's, what does Alexis say to that? <laughs> oh, he doesn't care. It, it's, be, it's become a running joke. Every time we win, I text him, you know, with the hashtag soft launch FC. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'll try that too. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to the to the TV world and all these things because you, you travel around the world. We talked a little bit about Crystal Palace. Yep. Um, you were just in uh, at FC St. Pauli as well. And I... I haven't heard you talk about that even off the air. So wh- yeah. what was that like? I mean- so I went over to Europe. Um, one of my clients is a company called SoccerX that does big international soccer conventions. And I went over there to uh, speak on stage myself and the uh, secretary general of CONCACAF went on to give mm-hmm. a talk. It's a 3,000 people attend this conference from teams, leagues, networks, and stuff literally all over the world who work in soccer. So we went to talk about how soccer is coming along in the CONCACAF region, if you will. Um, and one aside, which was so cool, was part of the conversation was about diversity and inclusion and the Puto chant and things like that. And within the talk at this huge, massive uh, conference, which is in England, uh, I showed the video that Minnesota United did with the players from different nationalities mm-hmm. speaking out against the Puto chant. And, and it was so cool, A, to show that in front of that crowd, and then B, the reaction it got afterwards. How many people came up and said, that's fantastic, can you flip it to me, we want to copy it, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. It was really cool to see that you know something like that that we did here get international legs. What a great statement about our club to be able to do that. So that was really special. Um, and then, yes, as part of the trip, uh, I did through a, uh, somebody I know um, who works at Fox, actually, Ian Joy, who used to play at St. Pauli. He hmm. set me up to spend some time at uh, St. Pauli, which is a second division German club who is as known for their fan base as they are for their football. And they are... Um, you know, some people said they're a social movement who happens to have a football club. Mm-hmm. But what it is is they are member-owned, actually, first of all. So they've got a very different structural mm-hmm. setup. But their fans, their supporter base is absolutely amazing. And they are very, very socially conscious and very outspoken about it. Very anti-racism. Very anti-fascism. Very inclusive. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what your sexual preference is or where you're from or what color you are. You're welcome here. Mm-hmm. And when I see that... It sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it, mm-hmm. as far as what we are, you know, what is being built here. I don't want to say what we at Minnesota United are building because we have nothing to do with that. That's, you know, that's the fan base. Mm-hmm. They're building it and we're happy to watch it grow and sprinkle whatever we can on it. But um, they've had something grow organically just like seems to be, you know, happening here. So given that the fan bases have a lot in common, I thought it'd be fun to go spend a day there and see what the club has done to work with the fans to see that grow. Um, and how that interaction has gone and, and see if there's anything that we can learn as we continue to grow and blossom and, and that to be such a special part about our club um, through the fans and what we can do at the club like with the video to promote that because soccer is it's, it's like no other game it's such a unifying force it's such a sport of inclusion and it's just it's unbelievable to see that happening all over the world and for us to have such a stake in it is, is pretty special um, trying to ask of uh, think of how to phrase this but I, I mean one of the things that minnesota fans have, have discovered so far is that um speaking of that bring trying to bring that kind of uh activism and, and thinking about building bu- building soccer not just as a community but thinking about community through soccer right yeah. um and you know there has been times this year where uh you know a a Philando Castile uh, Memorial, for example, something like that, or throughout the league, um, where MLS, you know, as a, as a structure, 
they don't allow refugee welcome refugees welcome banners, for example, MLS. How do we? I don't even know if I'm asking this knowing that I'm not sure if I can get you to answer. Well, the, you but, can't. You can't because well, you can it yes and no. So I don't speak. You know, I don't right. work for the club. I don't work for MLS. I don't yeah. speak on behalf of them. So that's a question for Dr. McGuire sure. or for Chris Wright. But I will say this is there are going to be ups and downs and learnings as we grow together. The, you know, there have been, it's happened over MLS for 20 years. It's going to happen between our fan base and the club and the league here in Minnesota without a doubt. The most important thing is just to talk, have an open dialogue and figure it out together and know that at the end of the day, we're all after the same thing. And that's to grow the sport of soccer and everything that that gives us around it, the community you talked about and all that stuff. We're, we're, you know, we're, the idea is, I hope is that we're all kind of in this together, right? And there's going to be road bumps along the way. We know that that's natural. That happens at every club around the world as we kind of figure this thing out. And you just hope that we're talking along the way and we figure it out together. I wonder, you know, there, if there's also though, just on a, outside of Minnesota United and thinking about just leagues, you know, in the Bundesliga, there is a distinct, push against um, the corporatization of soccer, right? There, there are big protests going on now uh, from clubs about trying to, to prevent that. And we, MLS has been extremely successful and it is fantastic. And I'm very glad to have a successful team here, but I also feel like um, there, there is a little bit of having to sell something uh, that the MLS is a far more American style corporate league is there any way to to find a way to um, merge that gap between what bundesliga has been able to do and the kind of a little bit more controlled uh yeah way of, of... look i'm not smart enough to answer that okay. and i don't know that i necessarily accept the premise also because i don't consider mls an overly corporatized league i think you mm. go into stadiums and other sports and by the way stadiums in soccer around the world in other leagues and you see a far more corporate stuffy kind of presence. Hmm. I don't get that from MLS right now. I just don't. It's not what we're going to do with cloud city. Mm-hmm. Uh, there we go. I love it. Just say it. Uh, I love it. Just own it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know that I, I accept that Wes. And again, it's just a, for me, it's just about the continued conversation between all the stakeholders to try to build this ecosystem out together. Um, you know, this thing's going to be pretty powerful. It's going to do a lot of good. You know, yeah, we're worried about on the field, but I think everybody understands that this is bigger than just, you know, what the score is. Yeah. So uh, MLS, um, the t- one of the things that it's continually struggled with is TV ratings. Mm-hmm. And you are in the, the Fox yeah. soccer TV world, Fox sports TV world. So I think feel like you are someone who has probably spread uh, various, tried to influence uh, things to fix things or... How do we fix that? Or what, what do you see as the obstacles or what do you see as kind of some of the solutions? When you, I'm sure you've, you've told this to many people around MLS. Yeah. So I'm curious what, well, what the Well, again, type of it's the whole say. thing about change happening right in front of your eyes. The numbers over the years have gotten massively bigger, massively better. There are, you know, there will be a million people watching certain games on a weekend in Major League Soccer. You know, that's, if they're on, you know, big national TV on network, that's, unheard of in the past absolutely incredible local ratings are growing i mean it really is it's it's not going to happen overnight there's not going to be some sea change and suddenly the tv ratings are going to take off but the growth curve is there we've seen it in the you know what the networks have had to pay frankly to get the rights where in the past it was basically you know what we in the business call a time buy where they don't really pay anything back in the day and now the 
you know, now they've got TV networks writing big checks and not just to MLS, they're writing big checks for Champions League, for Premier League and all that stuff. And all of that popularity is just raising the sport as a whole. So there's not going to be some moment where it just switches on and suddenly we're rivaling the NFL in ratings. It's that slow kind of, you know, inevitable that a lot of people call it growth, where we're seeing people starting to get more and more into MLS. And obviously, as our league gets better, as we bring in better and better players, you know, there's no doubt about it. Those, you know, you connect those dots. Mm-hmm. Um, the better the soccer is, the more people are going to watch. Yeah. We, do you have uh, do you have a, a kind of short list of uh, Ben Grossman becomes emperor of American soccer? This this is my pet peeve that I would fix that would either fix soccer or at least just make me a hap- you a happier person. Is there? Oh my god. I'm, I'm sure there's a there's a long list or a short list, but what what are the what what is the thing that you're like if if we could fix this oh, thing you actually have a good answer for that yeah um, pro rel <laughs> you know what's funny you mentioned because it's related to that was we are a sport traditionally that eats its young we sometimes we are our own worst enemy as a sport when i talk about how with the fans and the club and everything we need to grow this thing together soccer is still growing here it's still it's i'm gonna say this it's still in its infancy in my mind of where it's going to be our league is only 20 years old that's nothing this thing was just started and this current successful version of mls is just years old right because we went through some tough times early on as we grew and and all that that's well documented but we're still a sport where there's a lot of you know a lot of infighting a lot of the you know whether it's the fans or different leagues we've seen that over the years or whatever um that's the one thing i would change that it's not it doesn't need to be about having a monopoly or collusion or any of that stuff but but we're still at the point where as a soccer nation we're in a growth phase and that's going to take a little bit of collaboration, if you will, and working together. And we have to get away from eating our young as a sport. Who are, I guess maybe to ask you to be more specific. Not who, a chance. Who, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I guess there's probably a boardroom in somewhere in New York where you could maybe uh, <laughs> uh, sell this vision to. Um Back to back a, a bit to Europe. I, I forgot to follow up on this um, and traveling around to different clubs. Yeah, and you've you, even before you were involved with Minnesota United, you 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 visited. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a ton of clubs, big clubs and small clubs. What are the things that you have learned and and try to figure out? How do I do that? How do I how do I find a way to bring bring that thing back? What are the things that you you see about other clubs that you'd like to capture or bottle? Um, not letting success go to your head on or off the field, I think is a big one. Um, when you're a Premier League club and they sign the new deal with Sky Sports and suddenly you're handed massive amounts of money, how do you manage that? Do you go out and spend it all right away on players or build a new stadium or do that mm-hmm. right away? How do you manage that success? And at the same time, when things don't go so well, how do you manage that downside? And how do you get to the point where you're really focused on not just next game or next month or next season even, but growing this thing over the long haul? And you see clubs that do that. They, you know, Bournemouth is a great example. They went up and the, they were supposed to build a stadium because their stadium wasn't big enough. And they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to slow down and we're going to build this thing the right way. And here they are still in the Premier League. That is an underreported story, Bournemouth. They're unbelievable story for a tiny club like that to do what they've done. And then even, you know, the, the huge clubs like uh, Manchester City. Uh, I just was lucky enough to spend some time there on this trip recently through our connections at New York City Football Club. And, you know, you just assume, oh, they've got 
millions and zillions of dollars and just whatever, but they're a really responsibly run smart club. I've got, was lucky enough to tour their training facility and their stadium and go to a match there. And it's really well thought out. Everything is really, you know, well done. It's not just, here's a boatloads of money and we'll, you know, figure it out. So it's really about managing as things change. How do you, how do you manage that? And that's really important in, when you're in a startup phase, like we are, you know, Minnesota United. And like I said, still we are at Major League Soccer. What is the, if you look at something over in this startup phase of, of Minnesota United, what are the things that you look at and you, not, not worry you, but, but you, that you think we need to be focused on this, that this needs to be, uh, I don't know, that what, in terms of the pitfalls of, of, I know you haven't started a, a new club or been part of a new club before. Well, I guess Colorado you were. Um, but, but what are the, what are the pitfalls going forward that, that you, that, that should be on, uh, the, the club's radar? Yeah. I mean, you can call it pitfalls, call it opportunities or whatever. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm going to defer to our new CEO, Chris Wright, who speaks beautifully about this. And that is, this team is about the fans. I mean, this product is about the fans. I don't mean to repeat myself. The soccer is not world-class yet. It's not. And it is how do you make sure that you are doing what you can. You want it to happen organically, right? Mm-hmm. Or then it doesn't work otherwise. Right. You want it to happen organically, but how do you provide the environment, right? Whether it's us with our 2,800 safe standing seats in the Wonderwall in Cloud City. Mm-hmm. I love all these little terms. I'm going to keep going with them. Um, <laughs> but whether it's something like that, but how do you just create at least the infrastructure for this yeah. thing to continue to grow? Because you've seen it at TCF Bank, right? Where you've got the you've got the supporters end and then you've seen just people like, you know, it kind of spreads, doesn't it, even during mm-hmm. the match mm-hmm. with the, the scarves on a corner or whatever like that. You just mm-hmm. see it kind of spread. So for me, it's not, a, it's not a pitfall. It's an opportunity. How do we as a club make sure that no matter what happens, as we grow, as we go into this beautiful new stadium, as we add bigger players as the league begins to grow as the feel that it's inevitably going to happen how do we make sure that no matter what we never lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day if the supporters are not growing this thing with us mm-hmm. it's just not going to work Wes and that's where Chris Wright he really just has his finger on the pulse of that mm. um, and you listen to him talk and and that's a big reason that why Dr. McGuire and everybody wanted to bring him in because he, he just gets that. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think of it. I've, I think I've said it before on this podcast that uh, as from uh, coming from a music world, right? I mean, when I play a show, uh, what, what matters most is not who, how many people are there, or or how the room is, but how you fill those people in that room, right? You want to you want to play to a packed crowd, and you want to find a way. How do I make it so that I can't make these people like my music? But how do I set the stage? So that if if there's a spark of emotion, right, you want that you want that affect to pass through. And what I love about everything I've heard know about this new stadium is that you know the roof putting sinking it in low, putting putting the raked uh, st- safe standing, mm-hmm. finding a way to just make a big stinking microphone, right? And so that you know you you want to see right now you you see certain sections keep on going with the chant right yeah. and you want to you want to find a way that that can happen all the time right and yeah. that's that's why it, it you can you can be loud and i've watched games at u.s bank stadium you can get a big crowd loud crowd there but can you get atmosphere and atmosphere is a is a, a weird thing because you can't bottle it you can just create the bottle i was lucky enough two weeks ago to be in manchester england um and go to the concert in Manchester that reopened the Manchester arena mm. after the bombing at the Aria, mm-hmm. Ariana Grande concert. Okay. 
it was like 16,000 Man- Man- Mancunians and mm-hmm. one Minnesota guy. I felt like I was at somebody else's party. They reopened it with this amazing concert. And the final two acts were, it was all Manchester bands, right? And the final act was uh, Noel Gallagher from mm-hmm. Oasis. And the one uh, right before him was a, a band called the Courtneers. Okay. I've never heard of them. Mm-hmm. I'll be hand, you know, I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I've never heard of them either. either. They're a Manchester band, apparently incredibly popular. So they come out, Wes, and the place goes crazy, and they start singing. And I stopped watching the band, and I started watching the crowd. Mm -hmm. People were singing at the top of their lungs, tears streaming down people's faces. I mean, every word like it was their last because it was the power of this night, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're talking about right there. That was the atmosphere. I didn't even care about the band. I hadn't heard of them. I can't for the life of me remember what their music sounded like, but I could paint a picture for you of exactly what the people around me looked like and how they sounded. That's what we – that's what soccer is at its best where the atmosphere – is as powerful as the soccer on the field. I can take people who hate soccer and who are bored of soccer, and I can take them to a game in England or Portland or in Minnesota, especially mm-hmm. when we move into Cloud City. And for, whether I like soccer or not, the atmosphere is gonna is going to just get them. And that's what we're building in Minnesota. That's what we've seen already this year. And you know, we that's why it has to continue to be about that. Yeah. Um, I want to switch to one final thing, which is to talk about the uh, your work back to Fox Soccer stuff because you've got a World Cup coming up. Yeah, and um, I want what is involved with that. In in part, one of the questions part of it is it's a morning for the U.S. It's a morning uh, World Cup, right? The uh, mm-hmm. games are going to be probably eight, ten, and noon, something like roughly. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the extra challenges of that, but just in general, what's going in at this point, right? Uh, we're 10 months away or something like that. Um, what, what's, what's happening right now? Yeah, good question. So, um, so at Fox, we did the, we got the rights to FIFA a few years back. That's when they brought me in. Um, we did the women's world cup, which is our first big FIFA event mm-hmm. in 2015 in Canada, massive success. Uh, the, the U S women obviously went all the way to the final and won it in what was the most watched, uh, soccer game in the history of U S television. Uh, gender aside, it was just, it was the big, it was the most watched game ever. It was, it was magic. Um, we learned a lot from that. We treated it the way it deserved to be treated. People had questions about whether Fox could do a big soccer event. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think we shut them all up, frankly, if I can be so bold. Um, so now here we go into the men's world cup where, uh, the U S is going to qualify. The U S is going to qualify. And, uh, we're doing our first men's world cup. So what goes into that is you plan out, you know, that we're going to have the draw in December. We've already started to talk about what the broadcasters are going to be, where our set is going to be, where our studio set is going to be and all of that and what it's going to look like for the fans. And, you know, David Neal, the um, executive producer of the world cup, who's done a ton of Olympics for NBC. He's in charge of the world cup at Fox sports, incredibly talented at telling stories, big stories through big events as NBC does such a nice job with the Olympics. He did a great job with the world cup in Vancouver and his thing is, and all of us were really focused on is you've got the, you've got your teams, your 32 teams. And then the 33rd is the country. The 33rd character is mm-hmm. the country of Russia because politics aside, not important. Just there's always a mystique about Russia, isn't there? There always has been, mm-hmm. you know, back to the Cold War days and all that stuff. So we're going to tell the stories of the culture and the people and all that of Russia alongside the World Cup. Because the story of the World Cup tells itself, right? It's the best month of, you know, sport there is, full stop. And you've got the massive stars. You've got the U.S. team. You've got the underdogs. You've got all that. So we're literally just going to sit back and let the story tell itself. 
and make sure that we, uh, we, you know, we do the best job possible. We're used to a high quality at the World Cup. ESPN has done a wonderful job mm-hmm. with the World Cups. They wrote the book on it. Uh, we're happy to take that book and, and hopefully grow it and, and do even more with it. But you know, ESPN's been fantastic. So we as U.S. soccer viewers are, are spoiled. We're used to a really high quality. And I think at Fox, we've proven that we can deliver that. Uh, who is the Rasputin of uh, of that presentation team? Is it is is Alexi the Rasputin? The the, the do you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching that. <laughs> right, fair enough. I do want to say I think I think that we're putting. I'm going to put this uh, podcast out um, the just after the qualifier. So if we somehow have a terrible weekend uh, in, in a week and a half from when we record this, um, then this podcast is going to be really depressing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not worried. Panama, Panama at home in Orlando, uh, and then away to Trinidad, a Trinidad team that's done. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to be. I think in Bruce we trust. I think we will have. Uh, I think we'll have taken care of it, and I think uh, the Loons will have a couple more points in the bag too. Fair by, enough. By the time yeah. you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, and so just that that last uh, part of it of of how do you do? What is a morning uh, morning World Cup going to be like in terms of trying to get? trying to get viewers and trying to get people to take off of work or do whatever, you know, does that, can, is there anything you can, you, you program differently than you would if it was Brazil or, uh, you know, I mean, not, not necessarily. I think people, uh, who watch the world cup are used to different time zones, right? I mean, one of the the most popular ones was Japan, Korea in Oh two when the U S went on that run. And, you know, soccer fans will stay up all night and they'll get up in the, you know, they'll get up early in the morning. And the one thing about the world cup is next summer for that month, it's not going to be the big soccer story. It's not going to be the big sports story. It's going to be the big story period. It will take over the ether of pop culture, if you will. And I'm confident not just around the world, but more so than ever in the United States, it's they're going to be talking about it on entertainment tonight. You know, Katy Perry's going to be tweeting about it. Like it's going to take over. There's no doubt about it. So people will, will find it. And we're going to make sure that when they do, um, through all the great talent and the great producers and everything that, you know, they've got at Fox that we, we keep them around that they like what they see. And you'll be in uh, Russia that whole time. Is that are you decamping and? Yeah, during big events, I I do um, join as kind of a consulting producer right in the in the studio every day. So that will be my role, uh, unless you know something I don't. Next summer in Russia, <laughs> <laughs> I, I very uh, rarely know something that you don't. Then, um, thank you so much for for coming yeah. on this podcast. It is it's very fun to talk to you as always, and I. I think that um what you do is 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 just like this really fascinating mysterious thing and every time i'm uh, i've uh, you know at, at the draft i remember talking to you and, and someone walking up to me like who's that dude he seems like he seems like he's important i think it was brian strauss of, of sports illustrated he, he was like who is that guy and it's like well you know I can tell you without <laughs> fail, I am not important, not mysterious. Uh, honestly, what I am, Wes, is I'm, I'm a bigger Minnesota sports fan and a bigger soccer fan than anybody you know. So that's why when these two things were able to come together, it's, it's the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. And sometimes it kills me not to be sitting in the supporter's end. And just yelling. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story before we go. The first game, mm-hmm. you'll see. I mean, people know down in section 141, there was a lot of the owners sit, mm-hmm. right? They just sit, we sit in the stands. That first match, I sat down there with my family and everybody around me. After about five minutes, I realized I couldn't sit around people. I now sit up in a box with Manny and Amos. Manny yeah. 
Lagos Namus McGee because I'm like a two year old and we're playing. I'm screaming at the referees yeah. and all that stuff, and it's it's embarrassing. It's you can sad. come scream with, uh, scream at everyone I, with with me sometime. I probably should because it's an embarrassment watching <laughs> me do, do when we play. But that's the passion. That's the passion of it. And no matter yeah. what, you know, no matter what, I'm a fan and always will be and that's the cool thing about our sport is is that's how most of us are yeah well leave leave me on this note um uh give 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 us something to chomp on to which is we've got a dp coming when and it, from uruguay or, or something <laughs> you know it's funny everybody's so focused on dp and what that means and all that stuff um those designations are you know a little subject i know they're technically they're not subjective but again Will our roster continue to evolve and get better? Without a doubt, we're gonna. We I think we're already giving this this community, our fan base, a product that can be proud of. There's no doubt in my mind that'll continue to evolve and grow. So whether it's a one, two, or three DPS today or tomorrow, it's kind of beside the point. Um, we've shown we can be competitive, and we plan on being more and more competitive as we go forward. That I can uh, that I can assure you, the fans deserve no less. Excellent uh, stepping around my question that you were never going to answer anyway. <laughs> thank you. I thank appreciate you. that. Thank you again for coming on. I, w- I look forward to, to doing this again uh, sometime next year. We'll, we'll catch up and you'll, you'll, give me more, you'll give me more optimism. Yeah, and again, thanks for, thanks for everything you guys do. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a consumer of it, and uh, it's just fun to be a part of this whole thing.